I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot. Here's Kelly Davis wide open. Davis. Still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the Q&A. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time for some midweek news and notes. And believe it or not, on a week like this, you'd think there was no news, but there actually was some. And we're going to talk about it with Daryl Slater, who covers the Jets for NJ.com. Daryl, I can't believe there's actually news this week, but how about it? The machine keeps turning along with with NFL, uh, you know, news and whatever throughout the throughout the summer here. But obviously, yeah, the Jets wrapped up mini camp last week. Here we're talking. What what is it now? Tuesday. So we're a week past what, what, what was the Jets' first minicamp practice. So um, they wound up having just two of uh, the three days. And, um, yeah, they got everybody out of the spring healthy. And uh, like, like you said, there's still some stuff trickling out. But for the most part, uh, fairly slow here until training camp. Let's talk about something that happened a couple of days ago, but we haven't had a chance to really address it on the podcast, mostly because we didn't have the numbers. We talked about how Jamison Crowder – had taken a cut to stay. We knew that there was tension there, and they were able to work it out. But the numbers didn't come out until a day or two ago. And here it is from Jason Fitzgerald at Over the Cap. He says the base reduction is from $10 million to $5 million. $4.5 million is now guaranteed. So it's a 50% pay cut, but the guarantee goes up substantially because there was no guarantee. So you go from a $0 guarantee to about a $5 million guarantee. Cap charge goes from $11.375 million to $6.35 million. His roster bonus is still intact. So this really breaks down to what I expected it to be. The Jets wanted to keep Jamison Crowder, but they just felt like $10 million was too much to pay him. Jamison Crowder didn't want to take the kind of pay cut that he ended up taking. My guess is his agent probably clandestinely Asked around, found out that if Crowder got cut, he wasn't going to get anything more than what the Jets were going to give him with this pay cut. And so he decided to stay an extra year, collect that money. Now the money is guaranteed, by the way, that $5 million, and then move on at the end of the year. If he has a nice year, he'll only be 28, so he'll have a chance to have another contract. So that probably weighed into it, too. 
I think this works out for both sides. I'm sure Crowder's not pleased about taking that pay cut, but if he has a productive year and stays healthy, he'll be able to get another contract and make some more money, and that's probably part of the calculation from his end. Well, I mean, look, that's how most of these NFL contracts work. You're not going to get significant guarantees into year three, and Jameson Crowder, who's been a you know, he's been the best Jets' best receiver over the last uh, couple, two years during the, during his first two years as the Jets. But, like, look, I mean, that's not a high bar to clear, right, being the best receiver on a terrible offense. So, yeah, he wasn't worth the cap number, wasn't worth the $10 million in salary. And when you sign a three-year contract, it's really a two-year deal, which is what this was. And this is what winds up happening, right? I mean, the Jets could have just as easily just said, so long and cut him, and then he wound up – and then he would wind up maybe signing what somewhere else for five million dollars. It's the same exact thing as which is happening. You know? But the you know the bottom line is they could still trade him potentially at the trade deadline. Think about it like that. I mean, by the half halfway point of the year, you're looking at a guy who probably only has a couple million in salary left. If the Jets don't want him, he's going to walk next offseason anyway, right? They're probably not getting a comp pick for him because they're going to be spending too much money on the money out in free agency as opposed to. Um, as opposed to the guys who are leaving getting deals, right? So I don't rule it out, right? If they if they're if they're if they're really bad and he's serviceable and a team has a slot receiver that goes down, why not move the guy for like a fifth or sixth round pick? Uh, but yes, yeah, so they bring him back, and uh, for the time being, it gives some consistency for for Zach Wilson to have a veteran to to work with, and you know who knows? Maybe Elijah Moore passes Jamison Crowder on the depth chart. Elijah Moore looks, has looked really good so far, albeit in shorts and no pads. So uh, I think obviously you know, th- this was a not surprising outcome considering the Jets had the leverage. You know, surely Jameson Crowder's agent did what you said, you know, shopped him around. Um, if he's smart, I'm, I'm sure he did that. So uh, yeah, th- this is a situation where now Joe Douglas can take that $5 million, roll it into next year when he already is going to have a like, 70 million bucks in cap space, but you roll that cap space to next year, you get a guy back, in Crowder who can help Zach Wilson. And maybe you wind up getting like a late round pick for Crowder. If a team gets desperate and Crowder is still pretty, pretty good. Right. So he could be a late season rental for a contender. And that's a lot of what if, what ifs there, but for sure they're taking the 5 million, they roll it to next year, or I don't know why they would use it this year. Uh, but uh, that's sort of where Jamison Crowder is at. The writing was on the wall not only when he signed the contract in the first place, year three is always going to be a flimsy thing when you sign a three-year deal, unless you were like a great player who gets guarantees into the third year, but also when they drafted Elijah Moore in the second round, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that they did not see Jamison Crowder as, as their future. And so now it's an audition year for Crowder and, and a chance for the jets to uh, save some money. I mean, the bottom line is if he had signed elsewhere after being cut, he, he probably would have gotten only what amounted to a one-year deal anyway, even if it was too two years on paper or something like that. So this was always going to be an audition year for him. Um, And he, again, played pretty well, right? So it's up to him to show that, like, he wasn't just, like, the best receiver on a bad offense, that he's actually still a pretty good receiver. And, And we'll see, because he's got some competition now with Elijah Moore, that's for sure. You mentioned rolling the money over. They may do that, but it also could be used to help sign Morgan Moses, who they've been in the running for. So we'll see how that shakes out. And obviously, if that money ends up being used to bring in Morgan Moses, then it's certainly paid off right away as opposed to, as you said, paying off for next year. The other news, Daryl, is that the Jets released a four-part documentary that they called Flight 2021. It's two hours in total. Each episode is about a half hour. 
If you're a Jets fan, it's worth watching. If you're not a Jets fan, you might find it interesting, but this is really more geared towards the hardcore Jets fan. There were some good nuggets in here. There was some stuff that was just sanitized PR, but overall, I recommend watching it if you're a fan of the team. And I would say if you're listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance that you're a fan of the team. So, Daryl, I figure we could go through each episode and hit the highlights real quick. The first episode just kind of set the table. They talked about the Robert Sala hire. Christopher Johnson had an interesting quote. He said that when he and Joe Douglas talked after they spoke to Robert Sala, there was a little bit of a break in the action. I think Sala went to go get some water or they said they'd resume in 15 minutes or something like that. They were so excited and they said that they knew that he was their guy. They showed a little bit from one of the interviews on Zoom, a couple of quick questions, nothing too earth shattering. But there was also a point in here where Mike LaFleur mentioned that he had been talking to Robert Sala throughout the process because obviously the plan was that if Sala got a head coaching job, he was going to bring LaFleur with him. And LaFleur said that the one interview that really excited him was the Jets interview, which is probably true. But then again, as we know, Daryl, this is airing on a Jets-based platform. So what did you expect him (laughs) to say? And then we heard from Woody Johnson a little bit. He said that he saw this as a chance to restore the franchise. They're moving in a different direction now, obviously, with Salah as the head coach. Joe Douglas is the general manager. They talked a little bit about the Jamal Adams trade and how that helped give them the ammo to rebuild this in the vision of both Joe Douglas and Robert Salah. There was a little bit of talk about the quarterback decision, what they're looking for in a quarterback. Robert Salas said you need a guy who's a natural thrower of the football. They talked about their first meeting with the coaching staff and the front office deciding what type of players they wanted on the roster. They really poured over the roster and were looking at what they had, who they were going to keep, what the strengths of the team were, and where they wanted to go elsewhere. They all watched the quarterback separately. I thought this was kind of interesting. Douglas wanted all the scouts and the coaches to watch the quarterback separately, and then they would meet and see what the consensus was. And everybody was obviously going to have different opinions, but Douglas said there was a strong consensus that there was a top two quarterbacks in this draft class. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that those top two quarterbacks were Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, considering that everyone knows Trevor Lawrence was the top quarterback prospect, and the Jets ended up drafting Zach Wilson. Heard a lot in this particular episode from Phil Savage, who's a consultant, a senior consultant, I think is his title, Rex Hogan, who is one of the top officials in that front office. I believe he's actually technically the right-hand man of Joe Douglas in the Jets front office and in fact this is his second go around with the Jets and they got into his history a little bit more as this series went on he was a pivotal figure in this talked a lot and also college scouting director John Carr was quoted in here a lot he talked about the process of figuring out what to do at quarterback so overall I thought this was fine it set the table as I said The best part of this to me was the little nuggets like Joe Douglas saying how everybody went and watched the quarterback separately and then they convened and shared their opinions. And then also the little snippets from the Zoom meeting and Christopher Johnson sharing that when they took that break, he and Joe Douglas got together and agreed that Salah was the guy they were really excited about. So I thought it was pretty good in setting the table in this first episode. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting peek behind the scenes for Jets fans. They're obviously never going to give you the full picture of what's what's happening or what's said or the debates that happen. Um, but I think, you know, that's an interesting you know peek behind the scenes of what they look for in a quarterback in terms of 
um, the, the traits, and that was clearly the big decision. I, the big decision this off 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 season, and uh, you know, you talked about some of the stuff they were talking about with Zach Wilson, like how he throws under pressure. I thought that was you know interesting. You know, what you talk about the quarterbacks who have different levels of competition they face in college. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, much bigger body of work, tougher competition he faced compared to Zach Wilson. So, how do you measure? you know, what Zach Wilson did and, and try to extrapolate that into what he might do as a pro. And, you know, I thought that what is the interesting thing that Michael Floor said, or one of the interesting things was that you, know, you look for those moments of duress and pressure and how does he handle pressure in his face, not the clean pockets rows, but those, the hectic moments. And so maybe that helps you uh, measure film a little bit better than maybe you could, you know, considering they played a pretty bad schedule BYU. So uh, it's an unscientific, method all of it is and 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 michael floor was the first to admit that um but uh that's why they think he was the second best quarterback is you know largely because of how he handled handled himself under pressure in terms of pressure in the pocket and getting the ball out quickly and he'll have to do that a lot obviously in the nfl and certainly if the jets offensive line is as bad as it's been so uh yeah i think i think that that's an interesting peek behind the curtain of the scouting stuff it's not just like oh obviously it's not just oh he had good numbers right so like what do they look for what and that's that's one thing so it's it's neat that they that they provide that glimpse again you're never going to get like a uh a full-on uh you know uh, full-on uncensored thing like uh like in some of these um hbo documentaries that they've done leading up to the you know those winter classics in the nhl i don't know if anyone's seen that that's even that's a little bit you know they're not putting in everything there in terms of game plan but that can be a little, little bit salty a little bit edgy and that's that's fun but the jets are not going to give you, you know, <laughs> joe douglas and robert sala you know you know cursing on there and stuff like that in terms of uh talking bad about a prospect even right because you know that they in those meetings they're they're dogging on draft picks oh this guy stinks because of this or whatever that happens of course that happens they have to talk about why they don't like guys they're not going to put that in there of course but um for what a team is going to give you, I, you know, that's uh, it's something interesting for sure, and a nice compliment to whatever other type of Jets uh, content you consume. Um, so, yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So, whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to the Deal. Listen to the Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. The second episode got a little bit more into what you were talking about as far as different aspects of the behind the scenes work. 
And this would build up because the third episode I thought was really the most interesting one. They started off talking about how they were going to Trey Lance's Pro Day and how the Pro Days in general this year were much different than in years past because in years past you had many opportunities to see a guy up close. This particular time around, you had the Senior Bowl where you could scout these guys, but a lot of them weren't there. And then you had these individual Pro Days where you could see these guys in person. Other than that, it was a very different ball game because before the pandemic, you could see these guys plenty of times in person if you wanted to, very limited now. So they talked about how that influenced the process. Robert Sala talked a little bit about how he built his staff, the traits that he was looking for in his different coaches. They talked about finding players to fit the scheme and free agency. And this is where the Jets director of pro personnel jumped in and talked a lot. He said that they didn't want to go crazy in free agency. They wanted a disciplined approach. They had a process. They wanted to find players who they felt could help them in key areas, but also would fit the culture that they were looking to build here. And one of the players they focused in on was Justin Hardy. You wouldn't think that because Justin Hardy is a guy who is a special teamer, so you wouldn't think he's a key element here, but they really loved him. They really wanted him. They felt like he's a tone setter in the locker room, and they referred to him as an all-pro caliber special teams player, the likes of which the Jets haven't had in quite a while. They showed some clips of him making phenomenal special teams tackles. They talked about Jared Davis and how they felt like they got a bargain with him. Salah specifically mentioned how he felt like his traits weren't being best utilized in Detroit, and they thought that they could really get the most out of him here and they didn't give him that much money so it feels like a bargain they talked about signing Lawson and Davis and how Lawson fit exactly what they were looking for because he's a high character guy but also very smart and a great technician so he's got a lot of different pass rush moves they talked about how the D is going to start up front for the Jets and so what they want to do is have that defensive line put some pressure and then get some work off the edge from guys like Lawson so that the secondary doesn't have to worry as much. Jeff Ulbrich jumped in and talked about Quentin Williams and how he plans to play him a lot at three tech. He thinks he's going to be a player that's going to change the game plans of the opposing offensive coordinators. He thinks Quentin can be a top five interior defensive lineman who can not only destroy the run but also become an elite pass rusher for an interior player. Ulbrich also talked about how he worked with Robert Sala to create their vision together of how they're going to have this defense this year, what they were looking for. They wanted players that love football. Mike LaFleur talked about how on his end, he wanted to make sure that they built a roster that was conducive to being able to run the ball effectively because everybody talks about the pass and how important it is and how it's a passing league, but the way to open up things for the passing game is to have an effective running game. So he wanted guys that would do that. And one of the players that he said would be a key to doing it is Makai Becton said he's a mauler. He's a guy that you watched last year and you could see why he was picked so highly. And then he said he laughed at the offensive line coach, John Benton's first reaction when seeing Mekhi Becton up close, he looked at him and said, oh my God, that man is huge, which is probably what a lot of us said when we first saw Mekhi Becton. So this was an interesting episode. They talked a lot about how they felt they could get the right pieces in free agency to set them up for the draft. And one thing that was interesting too that Mike LaFleur mentioned was that part of the reason that they really like Corey Davis is because they felt he fit exactly what they 
were looking for. He referred to the receiving core as being like a starting five for a basketball team. You don't necessarily want the best five. You want the best five that fit together and complement each other's strengths and help zero out the other guy's weaknesses. So that was what they felt Davis helped them do. So good episode. There was some insight there. We really started to get underneath the hood, and I think it set up episode three very well. But some interesting nuggets here in episode two, Daryl. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's always interesting to hear what their rationale is, not just for, like I was saying, why they drafted a guy, but what they liked about a guy in free agency. You know, those guys obviously have a bigger body of work, but I mean, you, you know that, you know why, you know, they would like Corey Davis or Carl Lawson, some of that stuff about why Justin, why Justin Hardy, right? Right. You know, like, who is this guy when they sign him? You know, Jet fans just don't know who he is. Like, who is this guy and why do they like him? And obviously, you know, he doesn't get a lot of attention, um, you know, from, from us and the media, um, you know, we don't have a, you know, the Jets are, gonna, are dedicating a two-hour documentary to this thing. So they're going to get pretty far in the weeds on some of these lower-profile guys. So I think that's an interesting look at, you know, just a hidden area of the game, obviously, in special teams and just why they like him so much. And Brant Boyer was talking to us on, on one of the recent press conferences and, and talked about how excited he was to have Justin Hardy and how much of a difference maker he can, he can make. So, you know, you're talking about a team, here with a very small margin for error because they're obviously still not the most talented team. They're probably not going to score a ton of points right off the bat. And so they're going to play probably a lot of close games. So what is going to make the difference in those close games? The little things like special teams and, um, you know, maybe Justin Hardy makes a play as a gunner that saves a few yards and that makes a difference in a team getting out of field goal range ultimately, right? If, if they're, you know, if they have a 40 yard drive, um, maybe they start a little farther back because, you know, he made a great play as a gunner and, punt coverage on the previous uh on the previous punt right so that's just like a a moment right that you kind of overlook but then you think back to oh that's why they like this guy so um the jared davis stuff obviously he was playing in a system that didn't fit his um didn't fit his skill set quite so well in detroit and had kind of fallen out of favor there and so it's interesting to hear robert sala talk about the unutilized potential there, especially because you know, the Jets do have a question mark um, with what they're going to do next to CJ Mosley uh, in, in their, uh, in their, as they transition from, from a three, four to a four, three. So um, like you said, I mean, it's in the weed, this is in the weed stuff. And, but if you're listening to this and you're watching that, you're, you're, you're a Jet fan who wants to know that stuff. So this is the type of stuff that doesn't always get a lot of attention when we, when we talk a lot about the quarterback and all that, because that's what most people want to read about, Zach Wilson, but if if you really like some of the nitty gritty stuff, you know this is a good place to to go for it, I guess, right? So the Hardy stuff in particular, for sure, he's got an interesting story, and it'll be interesting to see how he can help uh, help this team. Episode three, I thought, was the most interesting one. I would start with episode one and go all the way through, but episode three, I thought, gave you the most information that was pertinent if you're a Jets fan. So it starts out with the news of the Darnold trade, and then you hear the scouts and the coaching staff talking about Zach Wilson in depth, and this is real time. This wasn't after the fact. This was during the evaluation process. And you hear them talk about how Wilson is a great scheme fit, and how they went back and watched his play in cold weather, and they felt that was important because obviously in this division you're going to be dealing with a lot of games in cold weather, and they were very pleased with Wilson's performance in cold weather. They liked that he can make any throw, quick to process, made smart decisions, and here was one of the key lines that one of the scouts had. There's very little that he can't do. 
Chad Alexander, who's one of the chief lieutenants for Joe Douglas, talked about Michael Carter, said that Michael Carter was his favorite player in the draft. And they talked about meetings with the scouts and the coaching staff where they would sit and go over their evaluations of all the players so that they could put together their board and narrow everything down to about 300 players. They wanted to consider the talent and the scheme fit. So it was a combination of everything. Salah said the key here was they wanted everybody to share their honest opinions because they're going to be people that will have differences. They're going to see prospects differently, and they wanted all the information out on the table so that they could make an informed decision in the end. Rex Hogan was shown here and talked about his long journey and how he spent 25 years in the NFL, and it took him a long time to get to this spot where he's second in command to Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas is then shown in the war room before the draft began. He was telling dad jokes and he said everybody was going to be tasked with bringing a dad joke to the table. I believe the joke that he had was, what do you call a pig that knows karate? A pork chop. And everybody just kind of sat there and rolled their eyes and he said, it's a dad joke. You guys are going to have to bring one of your own tomorrow. They talked a lot, too, here about how Zach Wilson was not a one-year wonder. They went through some of his film from his sophomore year and some of his key plays there. Robert Salas says that one thing they were really impressed with with Wilson is that he made a lot of throws on tape that he was going to need to make in the Jets' offense, so it was a natural fit. He also loved that Wilson seemed to already know a lot of the terminology that they were going to use due to his work with John Beck. He said that Wilson had incredible recall, which is great because it meant that they could go and say, okay, what happened on this third down play in the fourth quarter against such and such team? And he would immediately remember and talk about what he did, what went into the decision to make that throw and how that's going to help him learn and get better at the NFL level. They talk a lot about Elijah Vera Tucker in this one. The scouts and the coaching staff universally loved him. They saw him as elite because he was able to be excellent at guard and tackle, could handle all kinds of different pass rushers. He was equally good against the run in the pass, so they felt like he was an elite player that they really, really wanted. Salah says that a guy like Elijah Vera Tucker is key to the Jets' success and to helping out Zach Wilson because, and this is a sentiment that you hear a lot in the NFL, success begins in the trenches. Everybody in the room agrees that if they want Vera Tucker, which they seem to, and obviously they did because they ended up making the move, they were going to have to trade up for him. There was no way that he was going to be available when they pick at number 23. And then they showed the phone calls to both Zach Wilson and Elijah Vera Tucker after those respective draft picks, which we have already seen because it came out the day that the draft happened. So I thought this was really interesting. A lot of good information here about the process with Vera Tucker and Zach Wilson, but also I like the fact that Chad Alexander really, really liked Michael Carter, said he was explosive, he could do a lot, they looked into his background, they loved him as a person, and we'll get more into this in episode four because that's when they talk about the Jets actually drafting Michael Carter. But you hear stories like this a lot of guys that are in the front office or on the coaching staff that have a particular player that they're pounding their fist on the table for. I remember a couple of years ago, Mike Westhoff said that the year that he came out, I don't remember what year it was, that Tyler Lockett was a player that he really, really wanted. And they ended up not drafting him, obviously, but that was a guy that Westhoff said, this is my player that I want. There's been stories about how 
Terry Bradway apparently really, really wanted Russell Wilson. I have no idea if that's true or if it's just revisionist history to try and make Bradway look better, but you get the idea. You hear stories like this all the time, and I thought it was cool to hear in real time Chad Alexander seeming to stump for Michael Carter. Yeah, you're not going to hear the – you're certainly not going to hear in real time the guy that they that they wanted and, and didn't draft, right? <laughs> but you did get a glimpse of that in uh, with the Eagles. Um and um, in their draft room, when when one of their guys, um, Tom Donahoe, right, and uh, disagreed with uh, Howie Roseman, right, mm-hmm. and that was one of the more interesting moments in the draft because he wanted, I think, it was over some guy in like the sixth round. It, it's just interesting that w- who these guys get attached to the scouts, right? It's not always like the top players, right? He, he you heard Chad say hey, Michael Carter was his favorite player in the draft. Well, obviously, he's not saying Michael Carter is the best player in the draft. But he really, they, these guys really get attached to certain players, you know, and for good reason. Um, you know, I think that, you know, there's certain traits that they see in them, or maybe they like them as, you know, as kids, good guys that they think could be fit. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll stump for you. You'll see a lot of that stumping going on in situations like that, right? Where it's, it's later in the draft. You know, everyone, you know, no one needs to sit up there and really stump hard for Zach Wilson. It became pretty apparent there was a consensus on him. It's the guys who is, there's not a consensus on who become almost these, uh, you know, pet projects or, uh, you know, favorites of, 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 of your scouts, of your personnel guys. And, um, and, and those are the, that's where they say the draft really for those type of guys starts on, on day two or really even day three, because it's about finding those mid round gems like Russell Wilson (laughs) who separate, uh, you know, the really good GMs from the guys who aren't as good or the really good personnel departments from, from the departments that aren't as good. So um, anyone could have picked, you know, Trevor Lawrence first overall. And yeah, he's going to be a big part of the, whatever success they have in Jacksonville, but they're going to have to do, they're also going to have to supplement compliment, you know, compliment him, put supplement him with guys around him. And, you know, if they're going to build through the draft and be successful down there, you know, you're going to have to hit on a, a mid round pick or two. And that's one of the, you really look at one of the reasons why the jets have been so bad in recent years, we talk about, you know, their second round picks get a lot of attention. Uh, but even like their third rounders, right? You know, like Lorenzo Malden and some of these guys like Shaq Evans and Jalen Saunders, third, fourth round picks who have just been total disasters. So uh, obviously they don't feel like Michael Carter, um, really probably either Michael Carter, both mid round Michael Carters uh, will be that. Um, and they, if, if they, if they kind of buck that recent trend, then the Jets have a pretty good chance of, of putting something together here in terms of being more successful. So, um, you know, that, that's always interesting to hear which, which guys in, in, in the, uh, in the personnel department, like which players and, and like, since it happened in real time, there's no revisionist history there, right? If he goes on to become a great player or not, you'll have it on, you know, it'll be on YouTube forever. <laughs> uh, what Chad Alexander thought of him. So, um, certainly, uh, you know, that that's something to kind of tuck away for down the road. Episode four wrapped everything up. We got the rest of the draft. LaFleur talked about how excited he was after round one because obviously he just got a brand new quarterback and an offensive lineman. He talked about how pumped he was for Zach Wilson and how one of the things that he really loved about Wilson was how good he was under pressure. He said when you look at a top college quarterback, generally they don't face a lot of pressure because they're on really good teams that have mismatches most of the time in their favor. But he showed one specific play where 
Zach Wilson had a rusher in his face and he stepped right up in the pocket and delivered a strike. He said he saw a lot of that on the 20 or so plays where he actually was under pressure, which is what he said happens normally with these quarterbacks is they only have about 20 plays where they're really facing major pressure. But he was really impressed with that. Like the fact that Wilson was a film junkie and a leader. This is something that came across to him, not just from talking to people that knew Wilson, but from talking to Wilson personally. So he was very pleased. There was some talk about how day two and three is where scouts really bang the table for players. And Daryl, we just talked about one of them, Michael Carter, that Chad Alexander was banging the table for. There was some really interesting information here about Elijah Moore. They showed some footage of real-time discussions between the coaches and the scouts before the draft about Elijah Moore. One of the scouts said that Moore had, quote, one of the best pro days I've ever seen. They talked about some of his numbers. He had 55 first downs this past year, only two drops. They mentioned that he has numerous elite separation skills, which if you listen to this show, you know we've talked about several times. Between his speed, his route running, and his hands, he can do a lot of different things to get open. They mentioned how they don't see him as just a slot receiver because with his speed and route running, he can win on the outside too. I thought this was particularly fascinating, Daryl. They brought in their director of analytics who had talked a little bit earlier on in the series and he said that he had Elijah Moore ranked as the number 16 overall player in the draft. They mentioned how they felt he was the total package because not only could he do everything on the football field, but he has impeccable character great kid from a great family, a leader in the locker room. Everybody on the Ole Miss team loved him. And in fact, you saw that video with A.J. Brown where he broke down crying, saying how he looked up to Elijah Moore, even though he was older than Moore and had more experience than him. And that told you a lot about Elijah Moore's character as well. You hear from the Jets staff basically talking about how they probably would have taken him at number 23 if they hadn't traded up. They also talked about how they thought they weren't going to be able to get Michael Carter once they made that trade up for Elijah Vera Tucker. They got rid of both third rounders, thought there was no way he'd be there, but they were sweating as they realized and it got closer to the fourth round that there was a chance he might end up being available at the top of the fourth round. The room erupted when Carter was still on the board with that second pick overall in the fourth round. Salah mentions how if they'd had one of those third round picks, it's almost a certainty that they would have used one on Carter. They like that he's explosive, a well-rounded running back and a leader. They talked about what an impressive kid he is and his character. Then they decided after getting Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, and Michael Carter that it was time to go defense. And Robert Sala said there was one key word that described what they were looking for after those offensive players. And that one word is versatility. They were looking for guys that are leaders, that had intangibles, and that were versatile on defense and could play a variety of different positions and fit in a variety of different ways within the scheme. So that's what they were trying to do. Then at the end of the episode and the end of the series, Joe Douglas came on and talked a little bit about the offseason in totality. He said they went into the offseason looking for a leader of men, somebody that could come in here and help them change the culture. They feel they've got that with Robert Sala. They wanted to get players that fit the culture, fit the scheme that they're going to be bringing in here on offense and defense and could really make an impact. And they feel that they did that by going out in free agency, getting guys like Corey Davis and Carl Lawson, and then going into the draft and getting Wilson, Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, and then all the guys that they did 
on day three. So overall, very interesting. In this particular episode, I told you this before we started recording, Daryl, I really loved the analytics director breaking down Moore and talking about how he felt that Moore was the 16th best player in the draft. But this episode had some cool nuggets. It was more of a wrap-up than anything else, but it did have some interesting information. And overall, like I said, I thought this was a good series. If you're a Jets fan, definitely watch it. It wasn't like the Colts series. The Colts really go behind the scenes. They take you into the war room. That type of stuff you didn't really see, but there was enough information that was worthwhile that I would recommend seeing this if you're a Jets fan. If you're not a Jets fan, probably don't need to watch it, but then again, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a very, very, very high probability that you are a Jets fan. So basically what I'm saying is, if you're somebody that's hearing me right now, you should probably go watch this series if you haven't already. It's four episodes each of them are about a half hour no commercials except on youtube if you don't have an ad blocker obviously they throw in some ads and stuff worth your time and daryl i think we can agree that even though it wasn't as good as the cults there was enough there that it's worth giving the two thumbs up if we're going by the siskel and ebert scale yeah sure especially if you know you're looking for uh some jets uh content to to digest and uh devour this, you know, I guess in the limited amount of time you have between now and training camp, five weeks or so. So that's plenty of time to go check that out. Um, yeah, the analytics stuff is interesting because you don't hear them talk much about that. And most teams play close to the vest. Talk about Elijah Moore, I mean, uh, with the analytics uh, angle of it. And so you get to hear a little bit about the thought process behind uh, some of these draft picks and just why they like these guys. And uh, to hear from an analytics voice is interesting. I mean, I, that's obviously something that teams are taking more and more seriously lately. And, and certainly that's not the only reason why they liked Elijah more, but that's, that's part of it. And just like the analytics is part of, part of the puzzle for the, for the jets and, and, and a lot of these teams in terms of free agency and draft decisions. So, We'll see how it all pans out. We'll see if the, the, you look back on these decisions and, that are on tape now as, uh, you know, wise decisions or, you know, as dubious sound bites for, you know, if a guy flops, you're going to remember forever hearing, uh, if you saw the documentary, hearing that whoever uh, say that they love, love the player for whatever reason. But, again, it's an inexact science, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, not, not all these guys are going to hit. I mean, the Jets – the likelihood the Jets hit on every single player in this draft is is basically zero. So um, we'll see if they can have, have a better batting average than they have recently. I mean, it's been pretty pretty low, um, but maybe they're finally, especially turning the corner here on some of these second-round picks with Marcus May. Maybe Elijah Moore can be a productive second-round pick. We'll see about Denzel Mims. Jury's still out there. Um, but, geez, I mean, you think about some of the guys they've had recently, you know, the uh, just just a terrible run of second round picks, you know, going back to um, 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 Hackenberg and Tevin Smith, Jason Morrow, Gino, Gino Smith, Stephen Hill. Geez, I mean, so Vlad Dukas, right? And so um, <laughs> that you see all those examples of why the Jets have not been successful in the draft. But now you get now you have a little bit of a window into why maybe they will the process into why they think maybe they will be successful uh, this time around with guys like Zach Wilson, Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter would being the big four, of course, Michael Carter, the running back at round four. So um, yeah, I think it's obviously a wait and see, but as you kind of wait and see, you get to look back a little bit on, on just what they were thinking at the time here. Geez, almost like, uh, well, almost two months ago now since the draft. So season's coming up fast. 
Daryl Slater covering the Jets for NJ.com. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I'm sure that even though the Jets aren't doing anything right now, you're going to have content up. And I know Joey Chandler will as well, the new writer over there at NJ.com. So what's cooking over there? Yeah, so we'll just preview in training camp, looking ahead to what to expect in terms of some of the notable position battles and that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, I think uh, you know it'll be an interesting stretch here. There's a lot of lot of uh, things to talk about leading into camp, especially as you look at you know maybe that, again, obviously if you're a, if you're a serious Jets fan, you're listening to this, right? So you you actually care about who's going to be their right guard, whereas 99% of America does not. No offense to Jets fans, but I think that's that's fair to say they don't get most. Sports fans don't care about that, but uh, who who's going to be the right guard? Who's going to who's going to step up at the linebacker spots other than uh, other than C.J. Mosley? Uh, how what about the cornerback position? Are the Jets going to add anybody? So a lot of these lingering questions. It seems like they're ready to stay stick with the young guys they have, right? So is Bless Austin going to be a, a productive player? Where does Bryce Hall fit in? Is he going to be a productive player? Um, you know who 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 is who is going to be their safety next to Mark May? Could be Lamarcus Joyner. Um, and what happens with Marcus May's contract situation here between now and July 15th, a month to go till the franchise tag uh, deadline. Now that they've put a bow in the Jamison Crowder situation, the last thing remaining really from offseason business is the Marcus May contract. And that's a big decision for Joe Douglas. How much money is he going to commit to Marcus May? Is it going to be Justin Simmons level money? So, um, a lot to talk about here. And uh, geez, I didn't even mention Zach Wilson, right? Because he had a successful spring, uh, and it, it's really unknown. It's not like he's in a position battle, of course. But you know, it's really unknown if he can build on that. Let's see. Let's see how uh, how he builds on that. But there's there's certainly plenty of uh, plenty to discuss. And uh, you know, where does Elijah Moore fit in in terms of maybe taking taking that quote unquote starting spot from Jamison Crowder? So um, he was a big storyline. Moore was in the spring, obviously, as everyone knows. So uh, yeah, appreciate you having me on. And uh, those are all things that people can kind of uh, ruminate on between now and. July 27th, which is when training camps start for every team in the NFL. That uh, that Tuesday, the last Tuesday there in July. Make sure that you check out everything Daryl's doing at NJ.com and check out everything that we're doing over at playlikeajet.com. We've got a brand new review up of this series I just talked about, Flight 2021. Sharman Phillip wrote it, and he gave his overall takeaways from the series, so that's well worth checking out right now. And we've got some great videos on our YouTube channel, too. Kayla Pace has her commentaries, Pace's playbook. Luke Grant keeps putting up videos. He put up a great one of Quinton Williams, and there's one of Morgan Moses, 28 plays of him going up against TJ Watt. So if you want to see Moses against an elite pass rusher, check it out. The Jets seem to still be in the running for Moses, nothing imminent. But if you want to see why the Jets are so interested in Moses right now, check out that video that Luke put together on our YouTube channel and subscribe if you haven't already and make sure you give the podcast a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done that already easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't take you much time doesn't cost you any money but it goes a long way to help us out so if you could go ahead and do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com